And now, with over 25 years of experience integrating mental health and spirituality, the author of Reclaiming Authenticity, When Ancestors Weep, and Redeeming the Bereaved, here is Dr. James Houck. Okay, well, good afternoon, everybody, wherever you are in the world, in and through the world at this time. Welcome to Reclaiming Authenticity, finding one's courage to reclaim that which has always been in you. Very happy to be with you here today, each and every Friday at 3 p.m. And uh, if you're on the uh, West Coast, that would be 12 noon. So each and every week, these broadcasts are dedicated to the integration of spirituality and our mental health, all placed within the context of our relationships, the relationships that we have with ourselves, others, and God or the divine. I am Dr. James Houck, and if you would like more information about me or to leave me your comments about today's show, I invite you to visit the website. It's www.bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity. All one word there. So www.bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity. And if you would like to call in and to be part of the show, the number is 888-627-6008. That's 888-627-6008, and I will be taking your calls after the break. And uh, just in case you're unable to stay with me for the full hour, uh, these broadcasts are podcasted now. In case you want to go back and uh, listen again, or you can go back even into the archives and listen to previous shows. And so all I just also wanted to thank everybody for their support over the past uh, coming up on two years now, and would like to say that you now have the opportunity to continue your support by becoming a monthly subscriber. Now, uh, subscription is not required to listen to these talk shows, but it is greatly appreciated. So again, all you would need to do is just go on uh, www.bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity. And right there on the opening page, you will see uh, a banner where you can click on subscriptions and then choose any amount that you feel comfortable giving. And so I just wanted to say again, thank you for your continued support. And uh, I also want to uh, invite you to uh, mark this on your calendar. It's uh, coming up on one, two, three, four, five weeks. I um, want you to tune in to a special 100th episode uh, broadcast coming on Friday, June the 10th. Same time, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, noon Pacific uh, Standard Time, right here on bbsradio.com, Station One. And uh, not only is this going to be my 100th episode, Episode, but it's also going to mark the beginning of my third year broadcasting with BBS Radio. And my, 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 how time flies. And um, what will make this broadcast extra special is that I would like you to pick the topic for me to discuss on the air that day. 
Anything you would like to hear or talk about related to the integration of mental health and our spirituality, just drop me a few lines. Again, just go on uh, the uh, uh, the website and you'll see a place down at the bottom where you can just uh, you know leave me uh, your uh, email address and you know just uh, a few words or a few lines about um, what it is that you would like to to hear on that particular show. So again, mark your calendar, Friday, June. 10th, five weeks from today. Well, at the beginning of these broadcasts, I always like to share just a little bit uh, with new audience members where I'm coming from in terms of what is reclaiming authenticity. It uh, basically comes from a deep-seated belief uh, in myself that uh, all of us uh, come into this world already equipped and graced with everything we need for this life in terms of our skills, our talents, our giftedness, our strengths, our character traits, and so forth. And how we live out our giftedness is in and through various relationships. And these things, we may not even be aware of our giftedness or our skills or our talents um, because they may be lying dormant. Um, because in all actuality, you know, you see, it doesn't matter who we are or where we were born or into what family we were placed. Ours is a world that is just filled with relationships. Indeed, we are social beings who often spend our lives trying to make sense of this world in which we live by trying to find our place in the world. Now, as social beings, it's often within this context of relationships that we have experienced tremendous pain and suffering, that we have been hurt very, very much. Uh, and that could be from overt acts of betrayal and, and cruelty that somebody has inflicted against us, or vice versa, to simply being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And as a result, many people still continue to bear the scars of the physical, psychological, emotional, and spiritual woundedness. And here is what I like to call the irony of life, that uh, it is how often we receive our deepest physical, emotional, psychological, even spiritual wounds in relationships. But the tragedy is that how often do we go along in life, and perhaps due to some unpleasant experiences, we hide that giftedness, as I said, or we we push our passions down, we push away our skills, or we just ignore you know our uniqueness. We push all that way down so that we and others cannot see it. All because we were told that we would never amount to anything or that we would never measure up to another person's standards or whatever other voice we heard telling us that there's just really nothing special about us. And yet, here's the irony. We can discover our greatest healing, our strength, our peace, forgiveness, love through healthier relationships. So... On one hand, we often receive the wounds through unhealthy relationships, but therein lies our greatest healing when we find healthier relationships. And these relationships just might be within our own families. They could be with our coworkers. You know, they could be among friends. Um, however, because we're in relationship with others, you know, once we are transformed and are transforming, we also transform others on one degree or another. 
And we do this through our presence or through grace working in our lives and our understanding of perhaps where another person is coming from and being able to see how they have been wounded and how they have been acting out or lashing out because of their wounds. And they don't they have yet to realize um, their giftedness as well. But. You know, what's, you know, you know, since we are healing and seeing ourselves differently, we will inevitably see others differently, and we're going to treat one another differently. But first, we have to work on ourselves. You know, that forgiveness, kindness, and compassion, and so forth, begin with how we treat ourselves. Because whenever we're more compassionate with ourselves, that really opens our eyes and our hearts then to become more passionate with others. And when we are more forgiving with ourselves and more understanding, well, then we can be more forgiving with others. And when we're able to live in gratitude with ourselves for everything that has brought us to this very moment, we then discover how this opens our hearts to see and live in gratitude with others. Transformation, as I always say each and every week, first and foremost, begins with us. And so this is what reclaiming authenticity is all about, reclaiming that which has always been in you. Or as uh, Richard Rohr puts it, your true self is who you are and always have been in God. The great surprise and irony is that you, or who you think you are, has nothing to do with its original creation or its demise. It's sort of disempowering and utterly empowering at the same time, isn't it? All you can do is nurture it. Well, welcome to uh, today's show. It is entitled Silent No More, Celebrating Feminine Energy in All Things. Well, this coming Sunday, as you are well aware, at least hopefully you are well aware, that uh, this Sunday is Mother's Day. And if you're like me and perhaps the rest of the world, your thoughts are focused on the women in our lives who have not only given birth to us, but also whether or not, you know, regardless of whether or not they were related to us, women who have nurtured us in their own way, or maybe they taught us life lessons, you know, whether it be formally in school or informally out of school. You know, maybe you had a favorite neighbor lady who was just very kind to you or just uh, one whom you felt very close to. Or women who have been instrumental in some way by shaping us into the men and women we are today. And, you know, for the past couple of weeks, you know, if not sooner, um, we have been, eh, I would say, you know, bombarded with all kinds of advertisements for Mother's Day that just constantly hints at us, you know, to like, don't forget mom, you know, make sure you go get her a gift. And, and these advertisements, you know, of course, could be anything from flowers to jewelry, cards, dinner reservations, whatever. I uh, actually talked with um, a father and his uh, young son, and uh, they were at a loss as to what to get mom for Mother's Day this year. And um, I go, well, do you have to really get her something she can unwrap? How about getting her an adventure gift or an experience? 
And so we talked some more, and uh, they actually came up with the idea that, you know, maybe it's time to take mom on a hot air balloon ride. And, uh, you know, and the, the kid came up with this idea all himself. And I said, well, are you sure that mom isn't afraid of heights? And, you know, dad just said, oh, she'll be fine. I'm like, okay, I hope she likes it because that's one for the books. That is one that she will definitely remember. So uh, if you're still trying to come up with some ideas for Mother's Day, you know, use your creativity and think outside the box a little bit and do something that you haven't done before. So um, it's uh, interesting, despite this constant awareness on Mother's Day coming up, uh, it's surprising that few people actually know about the origins of Mother's Day, which actually took place back in the early 1900s. And uh, as the stories go, it, uh, it all started by a woman named Anna Jarvis. And uh, Anna led a campaign for an official holiday which, you know, is honoring all mothers in 1905, you know, and, and that was the year her own mother died. And uh, the first larger scale celebration of the holiday, uh, you know, started in 1908 when Jarvis held a public memorial for her mother in her hometown of Grafton, West Virginia. And the reason she did this is because Anna's mother played an important role uniting women for good causes. And uh, her her mother's name, Anne Revis Jarvis, uh, she actually cared for wounded soldiers on both sides of the field during the Civil War. And, and in its aftermath, she organized a, a Mother's Friendship Day, which really had the goal of uh, just to foster reconciliation between, between former Union and Confederate soldiers by having them come together. And they were to bring their mothers with them. Actually, I kind of like that. So she not only fostered this friendship and reconciliation between the soldiers, but also families in general. And how often have we uh, heard that, uh, you know, the Civil War was characterized as a house divided, you know, where uh, you just have uh, brothers on either side of the issue, you know, and uh, just how that divided households and families. So over the next few years after that, um, Anna, uh, her, the daughter, really pushed to have the holiday officially recognized. And it was celebrated increasingly in more and more states around the United States. It just started to really get some traction. And then in, finally, in 1914, uh, then President Woodrow Wilson, he signed a proclamation making Mother's Day an official holiday, which was to take place the second Sunday of May, which, is again, is still celebrated today. And uh, however, um, and here's what you're talking about, irony, in the first few years of the holiday's official existence, um, Anna Jarvis observed uh, you know, that florists and candy makers and card makers and even charities would use Mother's Day as a way to make an extra buck. And this really upset her. You know, the commercialization of Mother's Day, uh, according to Anna Jarvis, defeated the whole point of a holiday that was supposed to be about celebrating the personal, individual connection between a mother and her children. And uh, even, uh, you know, 
many churches and other organizations are preparing for record attendances by mothers and their families. And I've actually talked to a few mothers this week and, um, you know, just asked them, like, what do you want for Mother's Day? You know, what's, what's your ideal Mother's Day celebration? And uh, a lot of them said, I just want peace and quiet. I just want to be able to put my feet up and, um, you know, take it easy. But I really want my family to come with me to church or come with me to synagogue or, or you know, or, or another uh, organization that, that she belongs to. It just means so much to her. And um, that makes sense. Because, uh, you know, not only certainly in schools this week, children have made cards or they've grown little carnations or marigolds to be given to their mothers on Sunday. But also churches are preparing for the surges in attendance with the likes of what was seen on Easter or Christmas Eve. And it's a really a big to-do in churches. There will be flowers galore given out to mothers, maybe corsages and things like that, as well as the grandmothers. And there'll be marigolds and carnations from adoring children to you know our uh, roadside vendors, the shops selling bouquets and orchids for those who need to be reminded to pick up flowers for mothers you know in, for in their in your lives here so don't forget mom but you know despite the the wonder the splendor and joy demonstrated by many in celebrating mother's day mother's day for many many women and men have become a constant reminder of painful experiences you see, just as there's a surge in church attendance on Mother's Day, a lot of women avoid going to church that day. It is just too painful to sit through the hymns and the scripture readings and the sermons and just all the wonderful, well-deserved you know, events planned for Mother's Day. It's, it's too painful for some women to sit through. And this is because, you know, for many, you know, their biological mothers didn't really have the capacity themselves for nurturing their children, let alone providing a safe home for them to grow up in. Because many children faced harsh dis disciplines and shame as they experienced, let's say, generational traumas that were being lived out over and over again and again, coming down from you know, great-great-great-grandmothers, great-great-grandmothers, great-grandmothers, grandmothers, mothers, and so forth. It was just coming down, and it was trauma that could not be stopped, and just horrific, horrific experiences. And there's also women and men who you know, want to be mothers and fathers. You know, they want to be grandmas and grandpas who want to have children and grandchildren, but for one reason or another— have experienced miscarriages, or they've experienced stillbirths, or they've experienced other medical issues, or maybe they've even lost children to diseases or illnesses or even random accidents that have really exacerbated their pain and grief each year on Mother's Day. So a lot of mixed emotions go on on Mother's Day. And uh, for me, Mother's Day has always been about, I just want to describe it as like an emotional mixture of celebration, gratitude, and forgiveness. 
as I believe Mother's Day ought to be more inclusive and honor all women at any age. So with that being said, I wanted to share with you during this broadcast, I I came across the Christian prayer that, uh, as I said, came across it years ago that I have never found a better one um, since, that really captures the celebration, gratitude, and honor for all women. And it's just simply entitled, A Prayer for Mothers. It goes like this. For our mothers who have given us life and love, that we may show them reverence and love, we pray to the Lord. For mothers who have lost a child through death, that their faith may give them hope, and their family and friends support and console them, we pray to the Lord. For women, though without children of their own, who, like mothers, have nurtured and cared for us, we pray to the Lord. For mothers who have been unable to be a source of strength, who have not responded to their children and have not sustained their families, we pray to the Lord. Loving God, as a mother gives life and nourishment to her children, so you watch over your people. Bless these women that they may be strengthened as mothers, and let the example of their faith and love shine forth. Grant that we, their sons and daughters, may honor them and always with a spirit of profound respect. Amen. As I said, I've never found a more inclusive uh, prayer that really captures just how I approach Mother's Day. You know, I think it's um, very wise to look at it as certainly a time of celebration to remember the origins of just why we celebrate Mother's Day, but also to keep in mind and to have that sensitivity that not all women and men are going to have that celebratory attitude on Mother's Day just because of the painful reminders of either having lost children in one way or another. But still, let us continue um, with the hope that we have because, interestingly enough, life finds a way. Life finds a way, and the generations continue. But knowing that, let us also work to heal the generational trauma that many women carry with them, whether they know it or not. See, suffering and pain and misery um, no longer have the, you know, those things just no longer have the power over women when they realize the power that they have always possessed from the beginning. And that's their voice. And it's interesting, down through the centuries upon centuries upon centuries, women have always been forced into silence. And they've been forced into silence through intimidation or coercion or violence done to them. And, you know, the thought was, well, if we take them away and we take away their voice, then you have taken away their power. But I tell you what, when women find their voice and they find their power, look out and get out of their way, for they will no longer be silent because their power is in the voice. 
one of my uh, favorite uh, philosophers slash theologians, uh, Dorothy Soli, um, she had a quote that has always stayed with me the very first time that I heard it. And, um, you know, she's talking about pain and suffering, and she goes, uh, suffering that cannot be given a voice cannot be taken away. And when you think about that, that is true. You know, and so this is, I kind of picked up what Dorothy Salee was talking about. And it's like, you know what, this is true. Because even even if um, women are killed, even if men are killed, you have not silenced them because you cannot silence the cry of the soul. You know, there's a voice in the soul that can never be silenced. But still, the old adage is, well, if we just can really silence people, then we've overcome them. And it's like, that's not true. You know, you may think you're going to silence people, but it's not the case. And, um, you know, even if uh, a group of women, you know, if their voices are taken away through intimidation, coercion, violence, or even death, uh, others do stand up. Others do find their voice. Others are empowered. And so, you know, again, when women find their voice, they will no longer be silent. But, you know, as a counseling educator and a clinician and even as a a pastoral professional, I'm often very saddened by the women I sit with who believe that when it comes to addressing their physical, psychological, emotional, and spiritual problems, that they consider themselves powerless and without their voice. Perhaps this is a result of never feeling valued, or maybe they've never been allowed to use their voice. Or maybe they don't even know what their voice sounds like. And admittedly, many people are unable to perceive their insights and strengths as if they cannot see themselves capable of healing, let alone achieving anything meaningful with their lives. See, most of the time, and we're all guilty of this, people are content from time to time to live for brief moments of joy and celebration, and we kind of mark off these days with uh, transitional milestones of, let's say, you know, baptisms, or uh, a son or a daughter is getting married, and of course there's a celebration of birthdays, and then graduations, promotions, retirements, and it goes on and on and on. But you know, furthermore, when it comes to wrestling with life's questions, many people are often overwhelmed, not only by the concept that the answers they often seek lie within themselves, almost as if I've never looked there before because I've been told there's nothing good in me. But there is, that the answers they seek do lie within themselves, and also the belief that inner freedom Peace, joy, and unconditional love are not, you know, too good to be true, but they are there to be embraced, to be, you know, a source of empowerment, to be lived out, to be transformational. And yet, the greatest effect, hearing the cries of others, you know, and and hearing people who are discovering, you know, their voices, you know, that, that kind of an effect has on us. You know, not only comes from getting in touch with our own soul's voice, but it also awakens us to hear the cries of those who have no voice today. You know, there is a sound, shall we say, in silence. 
there's always existed in society a pattern of disenfranchising, say, the weak and the wounded. You know, people who have been labeled as unlovable, untouchable, and therefore they're unreachable. You know, for some, disenfranchisement was due to their disease or illness. You know, for others, it was due to their poverty. Still, for others, it was due to their gender or their race, their religion or politics or social class. And many in society preferred such people, you know, not to be seen, let alone we don't want to hear from them either. But yet, just as the cries from our ancestors and those who have been victims of crimes against humanity can never be silenced, so too the cries of the disenfranchised are often heard above the din of everyday life, even today. You see, their cries are not only heard deep within the soul, but also their pain can be given a voice through those who speak for them. And, guarantee you, those voices today are coming from women. Well, I'd really like to hear your heart on this subject, so if you would like to call in, and uh, let's get a discussion going on this, the number is 888-627-6008, and I'll be taking your calls after the break. Again, you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity, and I'm your host, Dr. James Halk. Be back with you in one minute. Welcome back. I am Dr. James Hauk, and you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. Now, I just wanted to remind you, like I did at the beginning of this broadcast, uh, invite you to tune in to a special 100th episode broadcast coming on Friday, June the 10th at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, noon Pacific Standard Time, right here on bbsradio.com station one. And as I said earlier, it's not only going to be my 100th episode, but it's also going to mark the beginning of my third year broadcasting with BBS Radio. And uh, what will make this broadcast extra special is that I would like you, the listening audience, to pick the topic for me to discuss on the air that day. Anything that you would like to hear or talk about related to mental health and spirituality. Just drop me a few lines at www.bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity. Okay, and we have five weeks to go. At least I believe it's five weeks. Yep, five weeks. Okay. 
So, uh, earlier in the show, I was talking about how, despite the wonder and splendor and joy demonstrated by many in celebrating Mother's Day, Mother's Day for many women and men have become a constant reminder of painful experiences. Okay, so the origins, again, of Mother's Day, very great, very noble, very honorable. Uh, just not everybody has those experiences. You know, uh, for example, you know, for many, their biological mothers just simply didn't have the capacity for nurturing them, you know, uh, or even let alone providing a safe home for them to grow up in. Or many children faced harsh disciplines and shame as they experienced these generational traumas that just couldn't be healed. And their mothers just and grandmothers and great-grandmothers were just not strong enough to be able to stop. And so they were lived out over and over again and again from one generation to another. And this is something that I'd like to share with um See the younger women, and uh, and of course the younger men, and even the kids, the teenagers, that uh, when we identify that something is coming down or having come down the generations, and something in the family where there is just a tremendous amount of pain and suffering, and um, you know, um, just for the sake of today, you know, uh, it seems to be coming down on the women's side of the family, and and one mother after another just continues to pass on, just very painful, painful experiences from mother to daughter, from mother to daughter, and so forth. And when the children I sit with, or the uh, teenagers I sit with, and even the adult children. Uh, they often struggle with, okay, this, this came down through the women in my family. This came down from, let's say, my great-great-grandmother and my great-grandmother and my grandmother and my mother. And now I'm sitting here with you and, you know, I have to make sense of this. And why do I have to be here? Why can't these women be here, you know, healing and apologizing and so forth? And uh, sooner or later, the conversation, or I should say the question, comes back around uh, to these adult children or teenagers that, you know, let's look at it a different way. You know, for as much as we have admired our mothers and grandmothers and so forth, um, maybe they simply weren't strong enough to be able to stop some things. And so the cycle continued after one generation after another. But perhaps you're, you're sitting here in therapy and wanting to get to the bottom of this and wanting to heal this. Well, that tells me that perhaps you're the strongest one in the family to not only heal the past, but also heal yourself in the present, as well as healing those in the future even the ones who have yet to be born. That if that healing is complete, these patterns, these behaviors, uh, the cruelty or whatever, whatever the situation is that's just very toxic, will no longer be passed on. You know, that children who have yet to be born will be born into healthier circumstances or to healthier family environments. Okay, So I always turn it around that, um, okay, you are the... Um, transformational or the transitional generation, the one who 
is saying, I can heal the family. I'm strong enough to do this. And as that is healing, the relationships are going to be different because the one who is being healed is becoming different. So, and I always like the reaction of um, the kids who are like under 10, um, between 10 and 6, when they, when they finally understand this, they get this look on their face like, you know, dude, does that mean I'm not the problem? And I, I get a big smile on my face because I can't help it because I know they're finally getting it. And I say, look, you never were the problem. You never were the problem. You are just acting or reacting from all of this. But you're the one who can help heal this. And with that little bit of empowerment, they sit up straight and get a big smile on their face. And they're like, okay, yeah, all right, let's do this. And so I have to slow them down. I'm like, okay, it's going to take time, but let's stay focused. And let's really look at what can be done in the family and, and what kind of a role that you're going to play. But first of all, let's talk about you. How's it been affecting you? And so starting with uh, the person right in front of me, starting with their healing, and then letting it go out from there like a starburst. And, you know, um, as I said, it's, uh, you know, even with uh, the painful reminders of, you know, what, what Mother's Day brings up in people, you know, for women who and men who want to be mothers and fathers or even the grandmothers, you know, first time grandmothers or grandpas, you know, grandpas who, who want to have children, um, you know, but for one reason or another are grieving, you know, the miscarriages that they've had in life or the stillbirths or some other medical issues or you know, just made it, haven't made it possible to have children or even have lost children to disease or illness or even random accidents. This really ratchets it up the pain and grief each year on Mother's Day. So as I shared at the beginning, the first half of the, the broadcast, you know, for me, Mother's Day has always been about, like I would, I would say, this emotional mixture of celebration, of gratitude, and forgiveness. As I believe Mother's Day ought to be more inclusive and honor all women at any age. And Interestingly enough, I've had the honor of working with generations of women who have uh, been made to carry heartbreaking, emotional, psychological, physiological, even spiritual wounds in silence. And there are many, many, many times when women who live today carry these burdens from generations and generations ago by the way they were raised or, you know, and or even the trauma that's been handed down even in their DNA. And yet there is tremendous healing for women who, once they find their voices, they transform and they transform others. So... For me, I believe the impact of healing intergenerational trauma can best be understood, as I mentioned, as a starburst. Okay, it, it goes just goes out in all directions, you know, kind of like the sparklers that children light on the Fourth of July, which don't blink because the Fourth of July will be here before you know it. But um, you know, as as one person heals from trauma. The energy itself radiates out in all directions and time and dimensions. All relationships, regardless of time and space, are transformed. They're all touched. They're all changed. 
And this is how interconnected we are as human beings and the world in which we live. I mean, just, just imagine how a single negative thought carries enough destructive energy to affect hundreds, if not thousands of people each day. Now, imagine that same potential a single positive thought has. It carries such tremendous energy. Well, there was a 15-year-old high school girl that uh, I was counseling who was really struggling with severe depression. And I'll just I'll make up a name here. Her name was Kayla. And uh, she went from being a straight-A student to getting C's in the course of a semester. And as Kayla started experimenting, experimenting sorry, with various drugs, her friends and family noticed significant behavioral changes in her. She became more irritable, more hostile, and, and definitely uninterested in normal teenage activities. And so um, she was diagnosed with major depression and assessed for suicide ideation and was prescribed an antidepressant medication, which she took very faithfully. And now, instead of treating her individually, Kayla agreed to family therapy that included her mother and her grandmother. And at the first meeting, I really set the ground rules for this kind of therapy, explaining that we were there together not to place blame on anybody, but to help Kayla get better, to feel better. Now, to get an accurate history of the family, I just simply started drawing a genogram, which uh, a genogram is just uh, kind of a, a, a visual representation of just a multi-generational family tree, okay, that really looks at the relationships among family members. And I was able to draw this on a, you know, fairly large on a, a dry erase board that I had in my office. And as the names of cousins and aunts and uncles and significant family events filled the board, I explained how just emotional and behavioral patterns are not only mirrored in one generation uh, to others, but also how these emotional and behavioral patterns are handed down through the generations. So immediately the metaphorical dots started to connect for Kayla and her mother as when it was time for Kayla's grandmother to fill in some details, they watched her and listened to her very carefully because grandma, she had some stories and grandma explained how she was raised by her mother and her grandmother and what it was like growing up in her day. She shared how men and women were treated differently and lived with different social and religious expectations and why jobs were scarce at times. And she also shared why so-and-so in the family had extramarital affairs and so-and-so who struggled with excessive drinking and even the reason why a certainly family member had to move away. Well, all of a sudden, you know, there were now five generations in that room with us, as it appeared that the ground rules for therapy gave Kayla's grandmother permission to talk about the family secrets. You know, 
interestingly, even now and then, uh, every now and then, I should say, that I, I noticed how Kayla's body language went from sitting with her head in her hands to carefully listening to her grandmother's stories. I, I could see in Kayla's eyes that she was now starting to understand that, no, she was not crazy she was not lazy, she was not ugly, she was not stupid, or any other negative belief that she told herself. Well, as you know, we talked over the next few weeks, the, the genogram that was being drawn depicted generations of socioeconomic struggles and alcohol dependence and family attitudes around guilt and shame and grandma's one big secret, her abortion at age 19. See, through her tears, Grandma confessed that she had been carrying the guilt and shame of her abortion for decades. In fact, every now and then she said that she could hear her baby's cries in her dreams, and she was so racked with guilt, but nobody knew in the family. And although abortion was illegal back in her day, Grandma said that she had the abortion anyway in order to spare her family shame at the time of you know having a child out of wedlock. And she also started to share how you know she wanted to tell her husband many times but still feared being shunned. Immediately, Kayla burst into tears as she too confessed that before last semester she became pregnant and she had an abortion. And she too could not bear shaming the family with this unplanned pregnancy, since they had so many high hopes for her. I mean, all at once, the emotional floodgates were opened as three generations of women sat there in front of me and sobbed in each other's arms. The relief from carrying these secrets was obvious in both grandmother and granddaughter. And although Kayla's mother had no idea of these secrets, she too realized that for generations, you know, who did not believe in airing their dirty laundry, suffering in silence is a horrible burden to bear. So in the weeks that followed, Kayla, her mother, and her grandmother continued to meet on a weekly basis, continued to talk through generational struggles and unspoken lessons that characterized their family. And Kayla and her grandmother even wrote letters of forgiveness to the children that they had aborted. And Grandma also brought in some old photos which added flesh and blood and soul to the stories that she And the themes of forgive me, I forgive you, thank you, and I love you, continue to empower these women to not only heal generations long since past, but also to they imparted their hopes and dreams for generations yet to be born. You see, there's a completeness that I believe humanity is waking up to, but it just hasn't fully grasped yet. When women heal from their wounds and they find and they use their voice, they transform humanity by, ironically, helping men become better men. 
And when men find their healing and transformation, they not only become better men, but they also empower women to become better women. Because we all have the masculine, feminine energy. And just imagine what Mother's Days would look like if we honored not just the role of mothers and the mother figures in our lives, honored and celebrated the feminine energy in all things and in all people. Well, you've heard me talk about um, my trips to India, and um, you know, India is, is always holding a special place in my heart just because of the wonderful ways that I have been touched through the people and the way, you know, um, hopefully I have touched them. And uh, there's one place that no matter how many times I go back to India and there's always something new I would like to see, I always return to a place called Vatsalya Gram in Vrindavan. And it's Param Shakti Peace. You know, Vatsalya Gram means a mother's love. And it's a it's a nonprofit, non-governmental, and independent organization that um, oh, let's see, has been tirelessly working, you know, since uh, I think it was like 1992 that uh, it, it originated, and it just looked at and really embraced the marginalized members of society, and it prioritized children and women, the vulnerable of the vulnerable. And it mitigated other socioeconomic inequalities that just are so prevalent in India even today, and really just impeding its growth as a whole. Now, this collective experience and this insight with diverse perspectives of the founders have been the foundation of the belief that the welfare and empowerment of children and women, especially those who belong to the marginalized communities, are critical for bridging those disparities in society and just alleviating poverty. And they've also been a source of just this holistic approach to development and in creating, a, a, shall we say, a framework necessary to just meet the goal of this organization. Okay. I mean, it's it's common knowledge in India that the benefits of a nation's growth have not reached out to vast sections of society. And wherever you see a society struggling, you know, just ask yourself this question. How are you treating the marginalized? How are you treating the vulnerable of the vulnerable? See, the, the marginalized members, in fact, form a sizable part of India's total population – and unless they're not, in, you know, unless they are, you know, uh, included in the mainstream economy, the growth of that nation is going to remain lopsided and then unsustainable. And so it really, you know, what Vatsaya Graham was doing is just really changing the landscape of India. And so. When I would go there and all the other times that I would go there, um, still marveling at how successful this organization is and how sustainable this organization is, because it starts with the concept of a mother's love. And the concept is beautiful, and I'm kind of hoping that it would catch on throughout the rest of the world, because guess what? It works. So they have... Um, 
uh, just for lack of a better word, little, you know, little apartments would be probably the best way um, to, to describe it. And, um, you know, they don't turn anybody away, you know, but um, the children who are either dropped off at the entrance of Vatsaya Graham or even babies are dropped off or even women who have no other place to go, uh, regardless of age, they are taken in. And uh, in these apartments, there's four, maybe five children, you know, all about the same age. And um, that's where they live. That's where they are housed. And, and each apartment has a mother, an aunt, and a grandmother. You know, three different age-related, you know, roles that the women play. But these are all, you know, the women have such good hearts to be able to give back and to nurture and uh, support these children. And so, yes, they are cared for. They are, you know, they are given shelter. They are uh, housed. They are clothed. They are fed. They are educated. They have complete medical benefits. And lo and behold, it does wonders for the children. So, and again, they are there from the time they arrive to 18, 19 years old and so forth. And then they, they either age out or they go on and be married or they even are, you know, certainly qualified to go into college if that's what they so choose. But the interesting thing is, as I said, this is certainly changing the landscape over there, the socioeconomic landscape of India, because you are empowering women. You're you're sending out this message that it is it is a truth that women they have such great qualities, regardless of whether or not they are the biological mothers. They nurture, they pray for, they sustain, they make sure the the children have uh, clean clothes to wear, good food to eat, and so forth. And I can just tell that it's working. Just not only the the energy, the great energy, and the the toothy smiles that greet me every time I go over there, and as well as just the gratitude in the eyes of the mothers and aunts and grandmothers, because they have a place to stay, they have clean clothes, they uh, have good food to eat, and so forth, and they give back. And I tell you what, people, it works. That's the power of transformation when we honor what is in and within each and every person. We don't see people as a, a burden. We don't see people as a mistake. We don't see people as, well, we don't really know what to do with you. Nobody is turned away. And when they recognize and we recognize the value, dignity, and worth in each and every person as a soul, the rest kind of falls in line, for lack of a better phrase. The rest is provided for. And it's such a connection to be loved, to be cared for, and so forth, that it really uh, strengthens and blesses the children as they get older, and they are prepared then to leave Vatsaya Graham and obtain jobs or go on for college and, and get uh, either better paying jobs and so forth. And as I said, it's really transforming the socioeconomic landscape and the status of women over there. So celebrate Mother's Day 
this Sunday in however you would like to do that. But let us keep in mind that um, everybody's different. You know, we have fond memories of, let's say, our mothers or neighbors, you know, or teachers or whoever took the time to, uh, you know, nurture us along the way, whether or not they were related to us. But there's also many, many women who long to be biological mothers themselves or who were just simply unable to be the nurturing kind of mother that was called upon, that was called for. So again, let me um, just finish this broadcast by just um, saying this prayer, or sharing this prayer, I should say, with you one more time. And it's just a prayer for mothers. And if you like a copy of this, just shoot me an email, ask for it. I'll be glad to, to send you a copy. Okay, So a prayer for mothers. For our mothers who have given us life and love, that we may show them reverence and love, we pray to the Lord. For mothers who have lost a child through death, that their faith may give them hope, and that their family and friends support and console them, we pray to the Lord. For women, though without children of their own, who, like mothers, have nurtured and cared for us, we pray to the Lord. For mothers who have been unable to be a source of strength, who have not responded to their children and have not sustained their families, we pray to the Lord. Loving God, as a mother gives life and nourishment to her children, so you watch over your people. Bless these women that they may be strengthened as mothers, and let the example of their faith and love shine forth. And grant that we, their sons and daughters, may honor them always with a spirit of profound respect. Amen. You have been listening to Reclaiming Authenticity, and um, thank you for spending this hour with me. Um, please leave me your thoughts about uh, this this particular show, and if uh, you'd like to have a copy of this prayer, let me know that as well. And until uh, next week, uh, may you be safe, may you behave yourselves, and may God hold each and every one of us in the palm of God's hand. Take care. Bye-bye. For an answer, or just to leave a thousand comments, or prodding to buy a book by Dr. Hauk, it's all there. Just wander on over to ReclaimingAuthenticity.com and click around. And we'll see you next Friday at noon Pacific time on PBS Radio TV.